0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you join us here today. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, I highly recommend that you do so that you won't miss out on any of our amazing guests that we bring to you every week. I talk with many salon owners all over the world, and one conversation lately that is constantly coming up is about the changing business models in the industry, and that there's a shift towards more self-employed or individual contractors, and that's happening in many different countries. There are lots of things that are driving these changes, and I love seeing how some people see it as an opportunity to start businesses that break or reinvent the traditional business model for hairdressing. My guest on today's podcast is one such person. Her name is Lacey Hunter-Felton, and she is co-founder of London-based business Hunter Collective, and she's one of those entrepreneurs that is reinventing the traditional hairdressing business model. In today's podcast, we will discuss what the Hunter Collective is and the gap that it fills in the industry, the future of the co-working spaces in the salon industry, and Balancing running a business, building a business with being a mum and raising a family and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Lacey Hunter-Felton.
1: Hello there. Thank you for having me today.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really excited uh, about talking to you. I get a lot of people um, ask me about the topics that we're going to talk about today. So I know that the audience are going to take away a lot from this. So um, let's start off with an overview of your background. Who is Lacey Hunter Felton? Give us your sort of two minute backstory and then we can dig in.
1: Hi everyone, Uh, I'm Lacey, the co-founder of uh, Hunter Collective, a co-working space currently based in central London. My background is I've been a hairdresser since I was about 16, been on the shop floor and uh, just loving being a part of the British um, hair industry. And back in 2017, um, I decided to walk away from the salon business model and create a co-working space, which we know now as Hunter Collective.
0: Okay, great. Well, let's dive into that because that's the, um, that's sort of, you know, Hunter Collective is, is what symbolizes this new business model or your business model that uh, that I want to talk about. So, uh, what exactly is um, Hunter Collective? What is a collective? What, what is the business all about? Is it a salon? Is it an education space? Is it an event space or is it all of the above?
1: Oh, it's everything. So, Hunter Collective foremost is a community. So, we're a membership Model. We have um, beauty, um, hair, and beauty experts from all over the country using our space. Um, and our space is a co-working space. So you become a member of Hunter Collective. Um, you use our digital online booking system, and you bring your business to HC. And you run your your company within our within our space. It's a wonderful, collaborative, flexible, transparent working environment.
0: Okay, so there's lots of lots of keywords that you're that I'm picking up on membership, collaborative. um, I don't think you said cooperative, but you said co-working space. Um, Very modern way of thinking. And these are sort of a lot of the buzzwords that, you know, are, are impacting on lots of different industries out there, you know, different ways of working. What was it that made you as a hairdresser, I was going to say former hairdresser, I suppose you're a former hairdresser in some context, but you're a hairdresser forever. Um, what, what was it that made you see or think that there is a gap for a different business model?
1: So it was quite clear to me, um, having been on the floor up until I was in my early 30s, that there was a glass ceiling. Um, and it was a very personal reflection, I guess, like a light bulb moment, really, where I looked around me and I I just felt on the shop floor that the peers who are at my level which was like at the top level of the salon were mostly men and so when I started looking around I felt that most successful salons were run by men as well and and you know they're they're wonderful I actually reflected that every salon I've ever worked for since I was 16 has been owned by men so I kind of started talking to my female peers and understanding you know if you want to have a family or if you want to diversify your career, like how does the current salon setup work for you? And the feedback I got was overwhelming that it, it didn't really work for them. So what I did was I decided to take a step back. I quit the salon that I was at, which was a shock to everybody because I was incredibly successful and it was a beautiful salon. And I loved every minute of it, but I felt that it was actually a time for me to, um, take a step back and understand what I needed for my future. And it was in doing that and researching other business practices, traveling to the States, understanding how things worked outside of the UK, that I came across this thing called co-working. And um, it was just exploding in tech um, setups. It was exploding across design. And I could just see that there was this new um, evolution of business model coming through that, was gaining pace and very exciting, very collaborative, um, really creative. And I came back from the states, and I just thought, "Gosh, we can do this here in the UK." And I spent a year and a half developing the concept. I raised finance, and I opened Hunter Collective in 2017.
0: Great. Okay. So have you, you know, like you just said, it, it's not a, it's not a new model in terms of other industries, but it's new in terms of the hairdressing space. Mm. Have you modelled it on anything else outside of the industry or in the industry? So like WeWork, for example, uh, or Soho House or, or other sort of co-working spaces. Have any of those sort of influenced, you know, how you've thought about this in a hairdressing context?
1: Massively so. So I base myself in a WeWork uh, location for that 18 months and I was regularly going to a sewer house in London so I had already interpreted the key elements of culture and community that I wanted to take away from those environments but I think for the hair and beauty industry it was incredibly disruptive um, and for a long time at the beginning no one could understand what we were doing they just were completely flabbergasted and we um, you know we were quiet for for a period of time at the beginning because hairdressers and um, brands and um, trade press, they just couldn't couldn't get a grasp of what we were trying to do. Um, But as we started living it and creating this lifestyle balance and showcasing experts around the world about what they were doing and then started bringing individuals to our space and building our community, people started to really latch on to this idea that there was an alternative because the um, British uh, hair salon model hasn't really changed in a very long time. And it was quite difficult for people to kind of think that there might be another way. And also because Hunter Collective is heavily based in a digital format, we're cash-free, we're brand neutral. All of these concepts were just like, wow, like this is really quite radical. So for us, we did a lot of, big changes at the beginning and it's only through progress and evolution and onboarding that we've realized that actually it works incredibly well. And we have this amazing community and we feel very blessed because we're going to scale it and, and it's going to be really exciting.
0: Great. Okay. Um, it's, it's not a, uh, salon suite or salon studio model, which is very you know prevalent in the U S at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not aware of anything quite like this in the U.S. Was there any sort of membership, you know, salon that you came across or co-working space or cooperative that you came across in the U.S., or was it more the sweet thing that inspired you for Hunter Collective?
1: So for us, it, it was actually more of the digital design um, entrepreneurial we working environment that inspired us because okay. when I looked at freelancers and small business owners, one of the key elements that they had in common was that they were really lonely. And I think in the UK, like we really specialize in collaboration and we really feed off of like team dynamics and we really enjoy working with others. So mm. for me to build a premium environment in our space... Um, which currently is a 14 chair uh, warehouse conversion in Farringdon, which is in the heart of Central London. We, um, yeah, we just knew that if we created a really open, beautiful co-working space, that people would really flourish and enjoy the vibe of a salon yeah. and the collectiveness of being creative around each other and bouncing ideas off of each other, and that really strong community dynamic but actually that we were all independent businesses and and we were all working harmoniously together. And I think the key thing that Hunter Collective has brought to this is that you can be independent and yet part of a very strong culture and that loneliness has been removed and that collective growth is what unites us. And that's one of the strongest um, points of our business model.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's really interesting, and I want to I want to dig into to something there which has big implications on the definition of this type of thing. One of the challenges with trying to do this is the tax implications. Um, in that um, you look at your business model and. You say that it's, you know, a co-working space, everyone works together, and it is, and it's great. I mean, I love it, okay, um, but that they're independent businesses, but at mm-hmm. the same time there is some degree of control over the culture and the opening hours and stuff like that. Is, is Am I wrong? I can see you nodding your head and nodding, nodding no. Uh, so. so- <laughs> It's what the tax department deem yeah. in all those countries as if there's any control about prices, mm-hmm. about opening hours, about products, about what you wear to work, then you're deemed an employee, not a business unit of one. So so can, can you talk to us about that definition?
1: I think that's a really incredible point and a really important point to highlight because I think that based here, and I can only base this on my experience of the UK market, But I think there's been a real grey area in the UK market for a long time as what is the definition of a team environment and a salon environment. And I think it's really important to highlight that because I think that for us, we shone a really, really big light on this particular issue. We're a very transparent working environment and we are a genuine co-working space. And when I say that, the businesses are independent, they are we don't we are a brand neutral space we do not tell people what products they have to use we have a front of house team who run our space for us but you can work the hours of your choosing we don't have a price list um that's dependent on the individual member that uses our chairs and you know has their own service menu i looked at this incredibly carefully because for us, we had to be really clear as crystal on what we were offering because I think there is a huge grey area, especially within the British hair industry, as to uh, freelancing and you know tax and are these people you know truly independent and and what I can say is that we worked incredibly hard to build our knowledge and we created something that is a legitimate workspace where we take those factors into control and we educate our community constantly on what their responsibilities are from a legal and tax perspective. We um, are a cash-free environment. Everything that we endorse is that you are a professional um, expert in what you do and you run your business correctly. And, And that is another reason why I think Hunter Collective is a is now um, it was unique in the UK, but now more and more businesses are embracing this because they're learning from us. And I think that's incredibly important. And I'm very proud of that point because uh, unfortunately it was a gray area for a long time, but we've been very open and transparent about what we believe should be a working environment for a professional individual within the hair and beauty industry.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for, for people that don't understand the difference between Uh, rent a chair and what you're doing, how do you address that? If someone says, well, it's just rent a chair, how do you, how do you answer that? Because I know it's not just that, it's more than that. So can you, can you talk to that for a minute?
1: Sure. I think that for us, like we always had to determine what was our point of difference. And when I looked at rent a chair models across multiple countries, I I just felt like there were so many elements missing and it was quite gray and quite murky and and everybody had a different idea of what they were doing. So when we built Hunter Collective, we made sure that it was a very transparent structure so that everybody could see quite clearly what we were doing. Um, One of the most important parts that I mentioned about Hunter Collective, probably the very first word I ever say is community and culture. So Mm. for us, everybody is an individual but collectively we're we're growing around each other and we do that by peer-to-peer sharing education through like workshops and we have um we put on like monthly business breakfast where we bring in hosts and you know they share particular topics of information we have um you know ongoing conversations within the community that you know we can help each other and spread information and push each other forward and for us, We also are a digital platform. So we are booking our chairs by the hour. And Mm -hmm. I think that flexibility and that um, co-working environment is pretty unique. Um, And the fact that, um, you know, for me as a working parent, I wanted a business model that was so flexible that if I wasn't using it, I wasn't paying for it. And and that's really key. And that is a massive point of Hunter Collective is that you pay for it while you're there. And you don't pay for it while you're not. And I think that, you know, classic or alternative models have very kind of fixed scenarios of day rates and, you know, buy-ins and whatever. And we just we just don't do that. We're a very um, organic and work-life balance focused community. And we put a lot of time and effort into our members. And we hope that, that they feel the love and... That they continue wanting to be a part of
0: our membership. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk about that—the membership aspect of it. Uh, mm. Because you know, a rent-a-chair model is not a membership model. This is a this is a membership. So, is is there a a, a joining up fee? You know, there's a you know to become a member. Is it a lifetime fee or a you know an annual fee? How does that work?
1: So it's simply a monthly fee that we charge, which basically covers five hours of access to the space. Oh. So it's you don't get something like there's there's always something that you get in return for for being with us. But for us, we felt it was really important that we had a monthly uh, monthly access charge to the space because we also have a hub, which um, which is our members hub where people can come in like a hot desking area, so they can work on their other elements of their business not just the practical side of it. Um, you know, we have exposure to experts. And we we just felt that with all of the learning and community driven aspects of Hunter Collective, that a buy-in of a membership was really important to us because we just wanted to know like who is going to be working with us to build Hunter Collective and improve it and and who and who who isn't. And, and for us the membership part of it was so special because it really um, brought everybody together. So you're on this very like-minded path that collectively together, we're creating this incredible space and we want it to grow and we want you know like-minded people around us. And, and um, the membership element was, it is, it's so important to me because it makes such a clear statement that you are a member of this new gen freelance.
0: Um, who's it aimed at? Like like what sort of hairdresser would you typically attract to work there? are they are they like session workers, editorial hairdressers who you know who are out in studios some of the week and they just want a base to come back to to do their clients? is it is it that sort of person or like who who is the sort of target market?
1: We have a really open door policy on Hunter Collective. So we're very diverse, we're very inclusive, um and we're very friendly. So whether you are, a session stylist who is, you know, doing their, you know, limited personal clients, I guess you could call it, um, Mm. or whether you're a, um, classically from the shop floor and your whole business is, um, your clients, whether you're an educator or an ambassador for brands and you travel constantly and you still have that core clientele that you work with, our door is open to you. For us, we love variety. So, Mm. you know, We've genuinely built this incredible eclectic mix of high-end expert um, stylists, and and the fact that everybody has a different background and the fact that they all have different things going on is we're a real great melting pot, and it's it's really wonderful because there's there's no judgment. Everybody's an expert in what they do. Whether you specialize in texture, whether you specialize in barbering, whether you specialize in color, and and it's, it's really wonderful because there's a lot of cross pollination happening and um, a lot of learning. And it's, it's really inspiring to see that collaboration.
0: Okay. Well, what are some of the hurdles? That you had to overcome i mean you said at the beginning people didn't understand what you were trying to do and you know obviously i've been on your website before we got together for this call and and i can see there's quite a population now of stylists that that, that work out of um hunter collective um what what were some of the hurdles that i think you said you opened it three or four years ago
1: i think for us it was when you're doing something so disruptive the the messaging and you know I don't come from a marketing or a pr background and we we built this on a real shoestring so you know we're a genuine startup so for us like getting the messaging out was difficult at the beginning because we also were learning on the job and and throwing stuff at it and we had this real great um like uh, test culture so we're constantly testing ideas and if they don't work we we move on or we evolve them and we really bring our community into that so we do um, a lot of stuff collaboratively with our community to understand you know do we think this is good or do you think this is good and that's really really important but some of the hurdles were purely just understanding how to bring out the best in what we were trying to do um, and really trying to on board um a person that could see what we were trying to do because at first we weren't great at talking about it and um and no one really understood but as as we got more confident with talking about hunter collective and members started to join us and they really embraced the culture of what we were trying to do and they really started talking about it that's when actually beautiful things started to happen because we were just like wow like this isn't just an idea in my head people are living this And they're building their businesses around this. And all of a sudden we were like, God, like we've really, we're really onto something here. This is quite an amazing space. So um, yeah, I think hurdle wise, I'd say there were lots and lots and I'm sure there will continue to be many, but I think that our approach to those hurdles is we're very solution driven and we're very um, community focused. So everything that I do with Hunter Collective Every single question, every single change, I put my members at the, the middle of it and I say, how is this going to impact them and is it a positive or is it not? And we start asking questions and and we find the answers together. So it's a really uh, – can be quite challenging at times to do it that way, but I believe in that process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. No, it's obviously working. Um, you, you mentioned before there was an hourly rate. Um, so you mm-hmm. pay a membership fee. Yeah. And uh, and then there's an hourly rate for whenever you want to work in there. Um, yeah. uh, I, I know from the website, you have written on the website, there's £25 an hour, uh, which I think is yeah. great. Uh, so so if I want to book it, if I'm a stylist and I'm going to work in there and I'm going to do three hours work or whatever, it's three times 25. Um, yeah. uh, so for every hour you're, you're booked, whether your client turns up or not, you've booked it for those three hours. That, that, that's correct, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. so obviously, yeah, I mean, we, we keep it really, really simple aren't it? and yeah. straightforward. So you can be there for a full day or you can literally drop in for one hour. It's yeah. your business. You decide.
0: Yeah. And so if you're there for 10 hours, it's 250 pounds for 10 hours. Great. If you work yeah. two or three days a week, you do 20 hours, um, you're 500 pounds. I love that because it's okay. realistic. It's a win for both. You see the problem mm-hmm. that so so for my American audience, you know, five hundred pound. I'm I'm going ballpark here with the figure, but I'm going to Fine. say that five hundred pound is seven hundred dollars. You know, ballpark. Uh, so you know, five hundred pound somewhere between seven and eight hundred dollars. Now, most Americans listening to this that are in <laughs> booth rental will be going, oh my god, because very few of them pay anything like that. They're paying a couple uh-huh. of hundred bucks a week for Mm -hmm. uh, a rented chair. And as I'm always saying to salon owners that want to go rent a chair, I say it doesn't work. You simply do not, as an owner, get enough money on the average rented chair model because they don't charge enough. So even if you've got five stylists in there, paying you 200 bucks a week you're only getting a thousand dollars and that's probably not even paying your rent so when you do it it's got to be a win for both and and i like the fact that the number you're charging is a win for both like the stylist if they're busy if they're an expert if they've got a client base they're still making really good money out of that and have a good support system and a great place to work but as a business you're still able to make money as well and meet all your overhead so i think i think that's great
1: i'm glad you like it I think, you know, we get we get asked a lot how we justify prices or how we build our business model. And I think, you know, talking to an American audience, I think they'll understand you have to base it on, you know, where you are, you know, say the overheads that you're covering and the average cost of a haircut in your area. So I think that for us, especially in the UK market, there's so many, you know, factors that we take into this calculation. But fundamentally, Hunter Collective was built to put more money in the pocket of the freelancer. So for us, we know statistically that our members are making two to three times more than they would in a salon environment. And that's really empowering. So we are genuinely focused on empowering our freelance community to, you know, earn the money that they,
0: Mm.
1: you know, that they're servicing.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I know you don't like to call it a salon. Uh, I a don't call care. it a salon. Yeah. I know you don't call it a salon. Not <laughs> it a salon it's either. not a salon. Yeah. Uh, but so, but what I'm going to ask you is how many people use it as a salon? Or how many members are there that, that are in there? You know, that this is where they Does anyone work in there full time or they all have so, other gigs going on?
1: So we have multiple members and we have chair ratios that. Uh, there's so many things I'll share with you about the business. So there's a couple of things that I'll hold back for myself. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think say. I think that um, like I said, it's a very diverse community. So some of our members are in there every week, um, and some of our members are in there for a week every month because they're flying in. Well, pre COVID, they were flying in from all over Europe. Yeah. So it's it's a really um interesting space. But for us, we found statistically that those who were working five days a week in a different business model could come to Hunter Collective and work three days a week. So we've actually found that, like I said, the entire model was to put the freelancer at the center of it and to create an incredible dynamic work environment for them that still covers our costs. And we have found that dynamic in the way that we operate at Hunter Collective.
0: Yeah. Is, is retail a part of the business model?
1: Not currently, because we're brand neutral. So we've really enjoyed welcoming all brands um, to Hunter Collective through our members. And also, we, I have to say, we're an education space for multiple brands within the UK. They host their academies and their um, education days at Hunter Collective. And that's been really inspiring because I think that's something quite new as well. Like, you know, back in the day and other environments, you wouldn't dream of putting two opposing brands in one space. Whereas now it's an open door and and we welcome all brands to educate, you know, host their launch parties, do their press days and, you know, do their shoots, whatever. And they absolutely love the space. And we found that, you know, with everything going online and it, and it being much more of a digital retail space now, I believe coming where you can literally tap an Instagram post and, buy something or go onto Amazon and click it or whatever, that actually putting the power back in the hands of the experts to recommend the right product for the right client is the most empowering thing. And for us, we believe obviously in retail, because that's another form of revenue, but how you deliver retail, I strongly believe is changing. So for us, mm-hmm. we don't have a retail unit at HC, but that doesn't mean that in the future, we won't be collaborating to create and find the best source of um, retail distribution for our members and their clients because I strongly believe that there is a very efficient online model and um, I'm sure it's going to come to us very soon.
0: Although there is, there's some great yeah. affiliate there's marketing. Lots affiliate of interesting things there. going on. Yeah. 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 Let um, me ask you about social media? How important is social media for the hairdressers who work at Hunter Collective to, to their business? Because obviously, uh, I haven't seen the space, but I gather it's upstairs. So you don't get any walk-in traffic in terms of clients, et cetera. Um, so they're, they're basically bringing a client base with them um, and responsible for their own marketing. So, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question, but how important is the social media component for them?
1: So social media, I think, for most hairdressers now is key. So that that enabling of self-promotion is is stronger than it's ever been. And we have seen the upward trajectory of Instagram and we can see other platforms coming online where, you know, individuals are just exploding. And and it's really amazing to see. And the freelancing culture that we're evolving with um, has been assisted by online um, social media. There's no doubt. The digitalization of representing yourself in such an open way has been a you know defining moment within Hunter Collective, but we could see that coming, so that's why we we harness that. I think that for us, we always um, encourage our members to you know represent themselves. But I think that there's plenty of Hunter Collective members that don't use social media. They have a very strong brand. They have a word of mouth, a very established clientele. They they've been very successful without it. So I think that. Yes, social media is key for some of our members um, and for the brands that they work with. But for others, it's just another element of noise and it's something that they don't need. So I think you have to be very respectful when you're working in a co-working spaces we do that there are different personalities and different business models and different ways that people approach their business from a marketing angle. And that you have to be respectful because if I turn around to every member and said, you have to get on Instagram, it's it's, it's the only way you're going to build your business, mm. I think I'd be, you know, I think some people would find that, you know, quite intense and that's not mm. their personality. So it's been really quite a welcome um learning to see so many different um, approaches to building clienteles, uh, reinforcing clienteles, nurturing clienteles. And that is something that's really welcomed at HC. You don't have to be an Instagram sensation. You just have to be very good at what you do and our membership are, which is which is wonderful. But something that someone said to me recently, which I wasn't aware of, that was such an instinctual move for Hunter Collective was that we celebrate our members. So they're users of our space. They're part of our membership. They're a part of our collective. We love them. They're our business. Um, But what we do on our social media is we celebrate them. So we celebrate our members. We celebrate their achievements. We celebrate their education platforms. We celebrate their ambassadorships. We celebrate their birthdays we celebrate our members. And, and that I think is something also quite unique to what we do is that, you know, a lot of, um, other business models don't focus so detailed on the individual, like on the individual. And for us, the individual is the most important thing because collectively we're a powerhouse. So I love the fact that we celebrate every single individual and, um, it's uh something unique to collective and something that i cherish i think it's a really wonderful thing
0: yeah okay um i know you said you'd you know before we started recording you'd worked in other salons over the years and you know you've got a lot of experience in the traditional salon business model and you know at a management and building level of those salons to make them successful and so from that perspective you've seen what happens when a superstar stylist leaves a salon, and you know, that battle of taking the clients with them, whose clients are they, the salons or the stylists, et cetera. You've seen it from that side of the fence. And now you're, you have a business that uh, facilitates those people bringing that business to you. What do you say to people who? who look at your model and go, it's not good for the industry, um, that you're not building the next generation of hairdressers, you're not training people. What? what how do you address that? How do you get around that?
1: Gosh, what a, Gosh, what an insightful question. So I think there's two answers and there's two elements to this question. I think you've kind of merged two things into one. But to tackle the first point, which is um, the clientele, so I think there's definitely an evolution coming across as to ownership of clientele. I've seen plenty of um, contracts and legal documents, so I'm I'm not gonna argue either way. It's it is really an independent choice, and at the end of the day, it's the consumer who chooses totally, where they want to totally get their agree. haircut. Totally. So, agree. I'm not going to have that battle with a stylist or a salon owner because I think that you know all businesses run their um, you know, their own format of how they want to work. But fundamentally, I don't think I've ever worked in a space that's welcomed a stylist that doesn't have a clientele. but you know maybe I'm out of date on that. I think that for me, the consumer always chooses and I think we have to respect the consumer. Um, the other part is about education. And I think that for me, I've never never seen so many educators or those being educated as I have within Hunter Collective. We are so education-focused, whether we are a space for brands to come and and educate or whether we are peer-to-peer educating or whether we are an independent business, a member of HC, and they're investing in their own education. Um, I think that the if you want to talk about apprentices if this is the angle of your question and you want to you yeah, know so the possible. The, yeah. the point you know especially within the UK is that there is a conversation going on with apprentices and and how they come to the, the salon um, or their hair industry and it's something that has to be addressed um again it's a model that hasn't changed for a long time. I celebrate bringing new blood into the industry. But I also celebrate upskilling. And I also celebrate um, continuous learning. And I think there's a huge pool of people, more than 50%, who in some parts of the industry are leaving after the age of 34 that needs to be addressed. We could be retaining huge amounts of hairdressers within our industry if there were more working environments that suited their lifestyle. So I think it's a very complicated question that you've asked me, and I mm. do appreciate that. But I think that across the board, there's lots of evolution that could be happening in the British yep. hair industry. Yep. And I'm excited to see because it's a huge topic right now and lots of people are discussing it. And I'm really excited to see what comes out at the end.
0: Mm. I'm i a great answer. Um, I'm just surprised that you've, pulled that number out of the air and said, after the age of 34, I would have thought mm. it was younger than that, considerably younger than that, you know? Uh, so that's that's interesting. Um, okay, so let's just transition. I wanna talk a little bit about the impact of COVID. I mean, here we are doing this at the very end of February, uh, 2021, and our open date is not until April 12th, from what I gather, at the earliest. So, a lot of businesses have been closed down in the last 12 months. Some of them have been closed for the best part of nine months. Uh, How has COVID impacted on you? Has it been any different, the impact on you, than it has been on traditional salon owners? The
1: impact on us has been, you know, monumental. Um, like most um, businesses within the beauty industry, we have not been able to function and the experts within our membership have not been able to work. So it's been a really um, difficult, difficult time. One of the things that has worked in our favor is that we um, run our chairs um, in a kind of one one client model at a time. So, so for us in, in other traditional setups, there would be clients kind of stacked, you know, in between clients, depending on their services. And, and you know, I think that's been hugely impacted um, in the returning to work. But for us, um, fortunately, because we have a very simple um, structure of how we um, use our chairs and it's, you know, one member um, in a chair with one client at a time, um, we've found that for our members, you um, They've been able to really bounce back and run their um, columns in a way that they were already, you know, comfortable with, and their clients fully understood. And um, for us, it's meant that from a, you know, we can we've been able to track when we reopened. We had a better idea of, of how, you know, our numbers were going to look. Um, but unfortunately, here in the UK, they've they've opened the industry, they've closed the industry, they've opened the industry, they've closed it again. Uh, Yes, we're coming back in, you know, on the 12th of April, hopefully. But what I can say about COVID is that it's really united um, the British hair industry. And at the moment, there's lots of campaigns going to government, um, fighting for our industry. And I would like to say just how proud I am of being a part of something that is so passionate. That they're prepared to go to government and demand better standards and better principles for our particular industry. And I think that the messages that they're sending are powerful and they're being heard. And, and even though it's incredibly difficult time for the British hair industry, we are giving an absolute fight and um, it's monumental. And, and those that are making that fight, um, you know, as us, you know, collectively, but who are really at the forefront of it, it's, it's incredibly humbling. And I, you know, I'm proud to be a part of it. It's, it's incredible.
0: Yeah. What do you think the the long-term impact of COVID is going to be on salons?
1: Well, I think that, you know, I'm not part of that salon industry, so it's it's hard for me to give a definitive answer. What I can talk yeah. about is the freelancing in the sense yeah. that, there were plenty of freelancers before COVID hit. There's going to still be plenty of freelancers after. Um, successful freelancers are successful small business owners. They are you know, still going to be very good at what they do. They're still going to have their clientele. The appetite is still going to be there. I just hope that we can all continue um, to grow and flourish together. And with more working cultures and concepts coming up across the UK like mine, there'll be more um, diversity and opportunity for those freelancers to, to choose and um, have more options as to how they run their businesses. So, I think that there's going to be a lot more opportunity for the freelance sector um, as 2021 and 2022 evolve. And I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing that network of co-working spaces um, pop up and grow. It's it's been really interesting to to witness.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, you've you've mentioned a couple of times that different manufacturers use uh, Hunter Collective as an education space. Um, how does that work? Is it, is it a salon? Well, do you have hairdressers working in there at the same time or does the manufacturer book the whole space out so the members can't be in there doing clients on those days? You sort of factor those things in, obviously, yeah?
1: Yeah, so we have a year's calendar and and we look ahead and and we say, you know, one, uh, we look at the, we found with our business model that there's um peak and off-peak days for our membership. Yeah. And we found that Mondays and Tuesdays were off-peak for them. They, it wasn't a great time for them to get uh, their clients in. But then we looked at the education side of the industry and saw that Mondays and Tuesdays were the days that they were educating. So it was a very straightforward, um, simple idea that when we started like collaborating with these um, education uh, brands that we could seamlessly fit... Um, education exclusively onto those days, and it didn't impact our members because they didn't want to be there then anyway. So yeah. we were really able to flatten out the curve on our business model, and it yeah. means that we can work with incredible global brands and work with incredible individuals simultaneously, and it seems to be a good fit so far.
0: Yeah, that's a great that's a great solution. Uh, and you've also alluded to that you are an event space, so meaning – not and you said something about breakfast sessions earlier on. And so they're not necessarily hairdressing and beauty orientated, are they? Talk to us about what you mean when you say it's an event space. What sort of events do you have in there?
1: So Hunter Collective hosts events for its membership. So when I was talking about our business breakfast, that's simply a... Okay collective of members and other um, hair and beauty experts who come into collective, and we host a beautiful <laughs> quest and coffee and we have a guest speaker and our events are based around education always and they're always beauty and hair orientated they're always about um how you can grow whether that's um have an accountant speaking or a business coach speaking um, it's always about how to grow your business successfully and they're really wonderful things for the other side of events, if it's more of a corporate or brand association, there's lots of things that these brands do that technically may have been hosted in a hotel or been hosted in a you know photography studio or whatever. And for us, if we can do a press launch or um, you know a PR day, then you know that's wonderful because we have the facilities that these brands need from mirrors to chairs to space, but we also have a really beautiful environment. So it's um it's a it's a wonderful place to to showcase your your product um or whatever you're you know talking about at the time and um and we love it it's it's another element to our business that brings more network it brings more collaboration it brings more insight into the industry and for a co working space that's what it's about right it's mm. about the 360 of what's impacting the industry at the time. And and it's, again, an open door. And we um, we love collaborating with brands for whatever they need.
0: Mm. and you probably can't answer this question but or or, or, or choose not to and i wouldn't blame you what, what are your expansion plans for for the model i mean you alluded to the fact at the very beginning that you'd like to uh scale it um are there are there plans you know uh locally nationally internationally to 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 scale the model that you've got
1: so, I'm glad you are. So so yeah, so Hunter Collective is actively raising investment. So our investment round is open, and we're looking to scale in spaces. Um, and we're also building our own online technology to assist with that multi-location space that we're trying to build. So lots of wonderful uh, things are happening in the pipeline at the moment. And another thing that we're doing is we're introducing something called HC Club. So if you're not able to access our spaces, if that's not in your area, then soon we'll be launching a resource that you can be a part of Hunter Collective from anywhere, whether that's in the States, whether that's in the UK, whether it's in Australia, but you can be a part of our community and part of our club. And we're very excited to be launching that very soon so that... You can feel and share in some of those values, some of those education points, some of that connected collaboration within the community, because we do have a global community. And it's a way of bringing everybody together and sharing and and make everybody feel part of this change. So there's lots of great things happening with HC, whether it's, as I said, raising investment and opening new bricks and mortar, building technology, or actually going down to the grassroots, which is connecting freelancers all over the world uh, through something called HD Club, which is launching very soon.
0: Oh, fantastic. That all sounds very exciting. W- where do you see the business model of the future? I mean, you know, we're going to talk in a minute about uh, about children, uh, but, you know, this generation, Gen Z, so at the moment it's anyone between the ages of 8 and 24, Um, they are entering our workforce in a big way at the moment. Um, And they have different work-life balance expectations. Um, They have different technology available to them. Uh, And so it's sort of like the perfect storm for changing the business model with what people want from a hairdressing career, indeed any career. Uh, so, so, So where do you see the business model evolving in our industry?
1: It's an interesting one because Hunter Collective has been built around a lifestyle balance and knowing that you can be passionate and committed and busy and focused on your career, but equally you can be committed to other elements, whether it's family or um, hobbies or other lifestyle choices that you have. And I think that it's positioned in a really great way because we already embrace those culture shifts. And I think that there's always going to be a place for individuals in any industry that that us, you know want to work on something you know seven days a week and you know it's their only goal and whatever. But I think that we've you know you've explained it. We're witnessing it. It's funny that your focus is on like the younger gen coming through, which is which is great. But actually, what I would say is looking at the population of HC and those that we're working with, they're they're individuals from 30 plus who uh, have already distinguished that that's the lifestyle that they want to choose. And they've taken that leap into mm. diversifying how they run their schedule and they should be celebrated because they are actually trailblazing um, the future of the, of an element of this industry. And when that younger generation comes through, I would hope that the industry and other industries are are ready to welcome them and embrace them because they do have expectations that are probably maturer or have a, a higher expectation level for perhaps what i did I was just happy to have a job whereas yeah. now I think a you know an average 18 or 21 year old wants a job that nourishes them and fulfills them and that also gives them financial independence and freedom to make choices and travel and do whatever and I think that um there's a lot to be recognized in that and i'm very um, excited that we've built a culture and a business model that embraces that. So yeah, yeah I think it's a, I think it's a good thing and should be, uh, should be the focus for moving forward.
0: Good. okay. Um, we, we're going to start wrapping up soon, but I wanted to talk to you about, uh, well, I'm often asked um, when I get female guests on the podcast, could I talk to them about balancing being a business owner? And being a mum, and I know that you are a mum of uh, two young children. From what I from what I know, uh, how do you how do you find that balance? I mean, you're you know you're ambitious. You work hard. You've got a business. You've got a family. What are some some you know insights that you've gained along the way about that and how to make it work?
1: I would say everybody's experiences obviously are are unique, and I think that you know for most. Um, independent business owners that I've worked with or met that you know you've you're striving always for that balance. I think one of the key elements that come out of it is making sure that you've got a supportive network around you. So I have children, I co-parent them with my husband. We have a support network around us. We're very fortunate to to have that. But I think that building a lifestyle around and for my children is one of the driving factors of of having Hunter Collective and building, you know, Hunter Collective. But I think that it's. I think there can't be any illusions. It's incredibly hard, and you have to uh, have to kind of set your path and say, right, this is what I'm going to do today. And it's either going to be my work or it's going to be my kids, and and that's how I do it. And um, and again, everything comes back to if it's not going to benefit my family and my work then it's probably not going to happen. And I'm very privileged to have those choices and I feel very aware of that. So I think anybody that's kind of looking at, um, uh, you know, having a family or um, building a business and having a family, I think that I would say, make sure that your peers support you and they're on the same path as you um, and that I built a lifestyle choice to enable me to have children. And I think that's something that, as I said, is a very privileged perspective to have, and um, I feel very blessed to to have it.
0: Mm. Do, do many of the members at Hunter Collective have children, and and that's why they choose this model for, for working?
1: Yeah, I think you know when when you asked me originally, you know about um, about how the model works and the flexibility and the lifestyle. Most of the members that joined us at the beginning were working are working parents. And the fact that they can be incredibly financially successful in three days um, sums up why Hunter Collective is is such a great fit for them. Um, So so for us, now we have a a much, you know, our membership is constantly diversifying and it's getting younger, which is fantastic. Um, and, And for us, we're seeing that we're actually seeing our members planning for a family or planning for the other elements of their lives. And, and actually, they're using the flexibility that we're creating to, to enable that. So it's really wonderful to see how um, this work-life balance and co-working structure is, is enabling um, individuals to, to define their own future. Um, and and that's, that's really incredible. Um, and yeah, I just think, you know, when you build something that's from such a personal place... Um, you know, I built something just to enable me to, to work the way I wanted to, um, and then to see it impact so much on others. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really wonderful, humbling thing. And I'm learning so much. I'm, I'm not the the best at understanding how to manage my time. I'm not the best at um, you know, being hugely focused on one task at any time. I'm, I'm massively creative. I come from a creative background. But one of the things I've learned from Hunter Collective is to listen. And listening is one of the strongest things I'll take away. I listen to my membership and I listen to my children. And you build your structure around what they need. Mm-hmm. And um, it that's that's how we've built Hunter Collective. And that's how we'll continue to build a business that works for a diversity of of uh, cultures and individuals that need it.
0: Yeah. Do do you um, over the last you know three years or so, while you've been you know bringing this business to life and uh, and responsible for young children, um, are you consciously trying to make the business work without you? That's what I'm trying to get to. Are you are you, tr- are you putting systems and structures and people in place so that the business? A can scale, and B enables you to have the life that you want to have by putting systems and people in place, so that that makes it that, that a reality.
1: I think that's a really interesting question. I'm glad you asked because uh, the first um, the first baby I had, I was pregnant while I was raising the finance for Hunter Collective. And that was always a big question like, Oh, this pregnant lady is going to, what's she going to do with all this money? And then, you know, like, is she (laughs) going to come back to work and is she just going to change her mind and Mm. all this, you know, all that rubbish. And, and I've never met more, uh, I've never met a person more motivated than a pregnant one. (laughs) So, Mm. (laughs) so, um, yeah, I wouldn't mess with a pregnant lady. And, and so for me, um, the first time with my eldest son, I yeah, I raised the finance. Um, my co-founder and I opened the space weeks after my baby was born. Um, I was very fortunate. It was a very straightforward pregnancy, a very straightforward birth, and I was back to work within weeks. And and basically, we were focused, focused, focused. And I used to bring him every day to the space, and he would be there with me and I was breastfeeding him and hosting investor meetings and it was very very intense and it was something that I lived and breathed and as I said I had a very strong support network with me and you know my mum would come to the space and watch him while I had my meetings and I was very fortunate. Um, The second pregnancy um, was very different and it was actually at the beginning of the second pregnancy that i made a decision which was you can't continue this. Like this is kind of unrealistic. If, if you're going to grow Hunter Collective and scale it, you have to learn how to, to step back because you can't have multiple locations and be the driving force of all of them. Mm. And that came through very strongly in my second pregnancy. I was like, I can't have two babies and be the driving force behind this uh, location. So it just, you know, it was a real coming of minds at this at this time. And and so it was a question that investors were asking me as well, you know, how are you going to do this? Where's your focus? So what I did with the second pregnancy is I focused on building my team and putting in those structures. And it enabled me to remove myself actively and physically from the business. And I nurtured and grew my team, which is still with me today. And I empowered individuals to take ownership over being part of Hunter Collective. And it's been the most fulfilling thing that I've done. And when I had my baby, I was able to take some time off and, you know, enjoy him and um, us as a family. And, And it all came down to recognizing that you cannot be everything to everyone at the same time. And it was a really hard thing to detach yourself from that and to let go is it's excruciating Mm. but I also knew that if I wanted multiple locations in multiple countries and I would love to take hunter collective to the states I think it would thrive there and I would you know love to be opening in new territories that you know you can't be in two countries at once Mm. so so for me that learning curve although I wouldn't recommend it to anyone (laughs) having babies learning curve of how to remove yourself from your day-to-day running of your business um i would say it's achievable and i'm very proud of what i've personally achieved because i've shown that i can build teams i can put structures in place i can fundraise and i am going to be you know scaling the company and it's it's uh as i said i wouldn't recommend everyone to do that by throwing you know throwing two children into the mix but i would say that it's achievable if if it's your goal and um if you have the right support behind you and everyone's you know rooting in your direction including your business then why limit yourself why not go for go for what you're
0: trying to achieve cool well that is the the perfect place to uh Uh, to wrap up and unfortunately we've run out of time so we do have to wrap up Uh, have you got any final words for our listeners before we uh, um, you know close out the podcast
1: i would say to anyone who's freelancing or looking to open freelancing spaces get in touch with hunter collective we would love to hear from you we are growing our network across the uk and internationally so if you would like to learn more about how hunter collective is doing that then please reach out to me and i would love to talk to you
0: Perfect. Okay, so whereabouts can people connect with you on uh, Instagram or or other social media channels?
1: So they can DM me on hunter.collective on Instagram, or you can DM me straight to Lacey. Um, it's yeah, Lacey Hunter Felton, my name on Instagram, and I will uh, happily chat to you on DM. And um, I love a Zoom. Anyone wants to Zoom with me and learn, and I'm there to listen. So yeah, anytime, any place, just let me know and. I'll reach out. It'll be great to hear
0: from you. Fantastic. Well, I'll put those links in the uh, show notes uh, on our website uh, at growmysalonbusiness.com. If you're listening to this podcast with Lacey and have enjoyed it as much as I have, then please do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. Uh, But most of all, if you've enjoyed this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts um, on the Apple Podcast app, scroll to the bottom of the page and give us a rating and review because we would really – appreciate that. So, um, to wrap up, uh, Lacey, thank you so much for being on the grow my salon business podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your openness, um, to answer all these questions. I've, you know, I, I, I like to dig in and, and find out what's going on and you've, uh, got a, a really well thought through, uh, intelligent approach to this whole thing. Thank you so much for having me.